Hello, sir. Thank you for being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Today we have a, a special episode. We're here today with uh, Dr. Locke Chandler. He works at Providence. He also teaches at NUNM and OCOM. Uh, he specializes in treating cancer patients. Uh, and he uses a very whole systems-based naturopathic philosophy to treat patients and also integrates Chinese medicine into that. So um, once again, thank you for being on the show. And I think we're gonna have an excellent episode. So firstly, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Cool, well, before this actually started, we've had some interesting conversations that we can kind of touch back in on, but let's start off with the big, the big question. How did you begin on your path to becoming a physician? What, what inspired you to follow this often difficult path? That's a great question. So I would have to go back even into middle school and high school. Like I loved sciences. I loved biology. I loved anatomy and physiology, just how the body worked. It always amazed me that we have these millions of processes going on at the same time, and yet we have function and can mm. exist and talk and run and do those things. Always athletic and so caring about diet and just trying to optimize performance through hey, good nutrition. And so that's how I grew up with my parents, mm -hmm. like they were more from the, the 60s. And so you know, my mom would make homemade bread after you know we ground the wheat in our mm -hmm. little electric mill. And so I'd have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with the fruit and just always sort of mm -hmm. eating naturally. And as I mentioned previously, you know, my friends would have their Wonder Bread sandwiches with ding-dongs and a little bag of Cheetos. And <laughs> be looking at it from afar thinking, gosh, I really want that. But looking back in hindsight, I know that that wasn't really the best thing for me. And so going into high school, thinking about either wanting to be like my father, a hematologist oncologist, mm -hmm. he worked for Kaiser and is still working you know, part-time to this day, or into teaching, so because I love the subject matter so much. And so going into college, I went to Earlham College in Indiana, which actually as a pre-med school, it was highly ranked in its time in the mid-80s. And so I did a pre-med major there and thinking again that I would still go into medicine or into teaching. But I, for some reason, I couldn't focus to, to study for the MCAT, the Medical mm. College Admission Test exam, whereas some of my peers and friends, you know, they would take time off, you know, six to 12 months and just study. I could not motivate myself to do that. Mm -hmm. It makes sense in hindsight, but at the time, it's just, I was working, I was an environmental consultant at the time, you know, doing soil and groundwater cleanups here in Portland and the state of Oregon and even in the Washington. And so always trying to think about what do I want to do with my life? And so, you know, the years would go by, you know, first year after graduation from college and then second, third year. I was getting a massage at a club where I worked at and worked out at. And the massage therapist was talking about how one of his biggest regrets was not finishing naturopathic school. Mm. And I had no idea what he was talking about. And so I'd had massages from him before, but we had never talked about that. And so he talked about the first two years of naturopathic school, of the school here in Portland, which is the oldest school in North America, mm -hmm. were in Kansas City as part of an osteopathic school. They would share the basic sciences, just because it was cheaper, you know, to have students from a couple modalities, osteopathic medicine, naturopathic medicine, right. taking anatomy, physiology, mm -hmm. biochemistry, than it was to have paper two professors. And so the first two years were in Kansas City, and the last two years were out here, where they'd learn herbal medicine, you know, more of the physical medicine, homeopathic medicine, et cetera, sort of to round out the last two years of their study. But he went through school in the 70s and didn't finish after his first mm -hmm. two years. So I was intrigued because of what he mentioned naturopathic was. I'd never heard about it. I grew up here in Portland, Oregon. My dad is a hematologist, oncologist. Like we didn't really work in those circles of natural medicine because I was used to going to the hospital for things. Mm -hmm. And so I sent for a brochure from the school and I got it and I opened it up and on the second page was the philosophy of the medicine, the power of prevention, Dr. Dosede or teacher, educator. And mm -hmm. so that resonated with me with my love of potentially teaching, becoming a teacher, mm. but also identifying treat the cause and you know, going further into more of what those modalities were, the healing power of nature. And that 
resonated with me in a way that nothing else quite had. And so I signed up to visit the school. Mm -hmm. And so everybody I met was nice and I got to meet the students. And interestingly enough, one of the students I met was my former dental hygienist who had left two years previously. She and I would always talk about sort of medicine and health and healing. And then one day she wasn't there, but then I ran into her at the naturopathic school. And so I thought that that was an inter interesting coincidence mm. in hindsight just to see the people in my life. And so I had a good visit and I wanted to apply to the school. So I asked one of my professors at Portland State because I was doing post-baccalaureate classes mm -hmm. in classes that many people may not find interesting. I was doing virology and upper level graduate courses in immunology and almost had enough classes to get a master's in, but I was just taking classes for the fun of it. And one of my professors who I'd had a number of classes with, I asked him to be a reference for me. He's like, naturopathic medicine. I was a professor of naturopathic medicine mm -hmm. at a school in Wilsonville decades ago. And that to me was interesting. I never knew that about him. And that here he was sort of telling me about sort of his experience with naturopathic medicine. So a lot of uh, synchronicities on your path, it seems, a lot of little indicators of where you should go. Did you follow those along kind of knowingly? No, I mean, it was only observed in hindsight. Mm. And then I find out that my grandfather had a naturopath back in San Francisco in the early 1900s which I never wow. knew about until I had told my dad, it's like, this is what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And at the time, you know, I didn't know much about naturopathic medicine, but it felt like the right step for me. And he didn't know much about it. And he's like, what the heck are you gonna do with that degree? Because at the time, you know, there was not sort of a positive aspect with regards to naturopathic medicine. Right, this medicine. was the 90s when uh, naturopathic medicine had just come out of hibernation, essentially, maybe, what was it, like 10 or 15 years before well, that? It had been around for decades, but really right. getting more into sort of that common knowledge and the, the knowledge sphere. And so I was still thinking, do I want to go into Western medicine or naturopathic medicine, even though I was getting ready to apply? And so I was taking a course also at Portland State in philosophy. Mm -hmm. And so the professor was talking about when we have decisions that maybe we have questions about. One of the ways to find the answer is to go to a quiet state, a meditation state, you know, trying to clear the noise and to get more of a clear understanding of what you're trying to do. And then to meditate and then ask the question and then to see what happens. And so I did that. I went to a meditative state and I said, okay, walk as a naturopath. And I'm sort of transported in my mind's eye into the hallway of the college at the time. And the sun was coming in the window. I could hear birds chirping. I could smell pine. And pine is a strong symbol of nature for me. This is when I was growing up. We'd often go to a lake in the, in the Sierra Nevadas. And that was sort of my happy place. Mm -hmm. Sort of a place where I had many fond memories. And so at the time, I could see auras. I'm not an aura-seeing guy, but in my vision, I could see auras. And the auras were broad. Again, people were friendly. It's like, okay, so I, that was my image of Locke as a naturopath. So I put that aside as I go to a meditative state. And I say, okay, Locke as a Western medical doctor. And I'm immediately at the bottom of this huge concrete citadel, just going up. It seemed endless. It was so tall. And then all of a sudden, I'm transported into the hallways, and people are flying by me, and the auras are very narrow, and people weren't friendly at all. It was like interactive. They were just busy passing me, passing me. And then at that time, I knew that, okay, I don't know much about naturopathic medicine, but this is the right step for me. And so I found out about it, mm -hmm. applied, and started within about six months. Wow. And so it was it's very quick. It was quick, but there was just something that I had to trust. Just it felt like the right step. I didn't know what it was going to lead to or how I would practice. I just knew that that was the right step for me. And within naturopathic medicine, the first year, we're required to take Chinese philosophy classes, and mm -hmm. Heiner Fruhoff, well regarded sort of throughout the world, but he started the program there, and he was teaching philosophy one, two, and three. Mm -hmm. And the more he would talk about this nature and balance and the way of health, it seemed more naturopathic to me in the fact that naturopathic medicine would treat a cold. You know, we do zinc, hydration, rest, chicken mm -hmm. soup. You know, vitamin C, and those things would help people get over it. Maybe a little echinacea, talking about the herbs. Mm -hmm. But Chinese medicine would say, okay, well, is it an 
excess cold or deficient cold, a heat cold or a cold cold, a dry cold or a wet cold. It's like, so they would take it and try and get much more specific because then they could treat it more easily, understand what, which herbs would be better for this. It's like you wouldn't want to do a, a drying herb for a dry cold. Right. Or a hot herb with a hot cold. It's like you would want to work the balance and that yin-yang symbol about the balance. Mm. And so it was really then that I gained that appreciation and that was also a leap of faith because it came time to, you know, my cohort, you know, they were starting, which you start at that time in your third year. And you know, I don't know much more than what I learned in this school about Chinese medicine, but I'm going to apply. And so I did. And then I went through the program and graduated with both my master bandit degree and Chinese medicine master's in oriental medicine. Mm. And then, um, then you proceeded kind of to specialize in a sense with uh, cancer patients. Is that something that that you chose or did it choose you? Like, did you always think, I want to heal cancer patients with natural therapies? Or was so, it something different? I, as they often say, your practice will often choose you. It mm. wasn't the practice that I had imagined when mm. I was graduating. But my father was, you know, over the years, he had seen where the medicine was moving with regards to the science and the data. Just saying, hey, some of these things are showing benefit. And he would get patients asking him questions. It's like, you know, they had, they're going to him for their cancer treatment, breast cancer, lung cancer, et cetera. And they'd ask, it's like, well, what diet should I eat? Or are there supplements that could be helpful? Or this friend gave me this product or this herb, and should I take it? And that's not his wheelhouse. And so he'd say, listen, I don't know about those things, but my son does, so talk to him. Mm -hmm. And so it started out slow. I mean, I didn't see a lot right away with regards to cancer, but slowly they would start to come to me. And sometimes I had to do a lot of research and I was at the library at OHSU and talking with my dad and doing natural medicine research and talking with professors and going to some seminars you know, that may cover topics that were important, like how to treat anemia, et cetera. And slowly over time, it was just building my knowledge base and then more people would come. So it was not just breast cancer patients initially, but then colon and then lung and then prostate and pancreatic and gastric and brain. And just what can we do to help support patients as they're going through? Now, I'm not trying to cure their cancer. What I'm trying to do is to help optimize their overall health and wellness. You know, going back to that Chinese medicine perspective, they have a statement saying, Zhong Dao, when the body's in balance, we have health. Western medicine has a very similar statement. They say, when the body's in homeostasis or equilibrium, we have no pathology. So really trying to take that in and say, okay, how can I help them balance? You know, doing a review of systems. How are they sleeping, eating, hydrating, exercising? And then seeing, okay, wow, they're not sleeping so good. How can I help their sleep? Or they're really the best diet that we know about with regards to cancer's Mediterranean diet. How can we move them towards that or encourage them to continue if they're already doing they're not exercising well. We know the data on exercise and cancer reducing some of the risk factors and also morbidity and mortality. Mm. And so trying to encourage them as the root word of Dr. Dosari is mm. also teacher, educator, coach. It's like how can we help support them as they're going through? But also knowing what are some of the side effects that they may be facing. Nausea, what can we do as cancer master to help support that? Anemia, what can we do to support that? Neuropathy, what can we do to support that? So really focusing in on their overall level of health and wellness, but also helping them navigate the cancer treatment to help improve their quality of life, activities of daily living, to reduce their stress. So it's always with that idea of being, I don't know what the outcome will be, but I'm trying to optimize and give them the strongest footing that they can, not only to go through their treatment, but to help them after their treatment mm. to reduce the risk of sort of those risk factors that we know about with regards to cancer about 70% is diet and lifestyle and exercise. Mm. And so if we can help optimize that, then what will happen will happen. So hopefully that they will have a long and prosperous life. Right, that's the definition of holistic medicine, looking at the, the whole of the person, their minds, their habits, everything they're doing, exercise, eating. And I think the idea of doctor as teacher is incredibly important. Um, 
in my experience with patients under uh, attending physician at uh, NUNM, also on your shift, uh, a lot of patients don't really know, they don't really understand how a lot of medical treatments work, how labs work. Um, you know, they just get a sheet that says, you know, get these lab tests, get the TSH, get the CBC, get the CMP. And they're just kind of like, uh, okay, I'll do it. And sometimes they don't even do it because they don't know what the purpose is. And I found, and I'm constantly surprised by, if you can just explain and teach what those things are meant to do, it helps them a lot in terms of uh, having confidence that you're actually trying to help them, that um, they'll actually go and get those lab tests. Like, instead of just saying, um, oh, this is a TSH, go get it. Most people don't even know what that is, unless you know they have a thyroid disorder. But explaining, oh, TSH is a hormone, it's related to your thyroid, we're trying to rule out thyroid disease because of these symptoms that you have. So once we get this level, we'll better understand what's going on with you physiologically. And people are always amazed and are like, oh, wow, oh, really, is that what it is? Okay. And it's amazing that medicine can function in any other way, not telling patients what you're doing with them. I mean, you go to a mechanic and they're gonna tell you what they did to your car even. They're not gonna be like, yeah, we just did this. And you're like, what does that mean? Is that dangerous? Am I safe? I think that's one of the benefits of naturopathic medicine. We often have the ability to spend more time with them. And with yeah, exactly. that time, we can get to know them better and to get what makes them tick and to then talk about some of those lab values, which some patients come in to me. I mean, it's often that I'm gonna go through those lab values and hear, wow, I didn't have anybody really go through them with me like you go through, and they're very appreciative. Mm -hmm. And in one sense, you know, it's not at the downfall, sort of the fault of the other providers, because oftentimes they're limited with their time just because of their busy schedules, but also insurance billing. Insurance billing does sort of limit time amount that we can spend with patients. And I think Western providers, Western medicine providers have more of that sort of impact, whereas we can be a nice supportive tool for them to work in that team model and to say, hey, you know, you know, I'm happy to talk with these labs, you know, more in depth with patients and to talk about diet and lifestyle. And so I think that's part of that integrated model is like, how can we all work together with the focus of a patient that are centered? And my dad and I have always talked about round table medicine is really, we have that patient at the center and on in the seats around that table is every provider that that patient wants, whether the oncologist, the naturopath, the acupuncturist, mm -hmm. the chiropractor, or osteopath, the massage therapist. It's like each person has a viewpoint of that patient's health. And if we focus in on what we can do, I think that the patient is the winner of all of that. And you mentioned a point about sort of level of health and that holistic aspect. And the root word of whole, W-H-O-L-E, is or health is whole. And so that's what you know, we're trying to do is like, what can make you whole or healthy? Mm -hmm. And so that comes back to balance. When it's like thinking about the mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual, mm -hmm. what can we do to make them whole and to help them with regards to their health? Right, uh, absolutely. What does your practice look like these days? Where are you working? Where are you seeing patients? Well, since 2004, I've been at Providence Hospital here mm -hmm. in Portland, Oregon, at both hospitals, St. Vincent's mm -hmm. on the southwest side and uh, Providence, Portland on the east side. Mm -hmm. I was the first naturopath employee in the mm -hmm. Providence healthcare system. And so, you know, my, my day is, you know, the majority of the time I'm going to see patients with cancer, but then 40% you know, of my patients are general practice, and I may see them doing acupuncture for back pain and neck pain. The next patient I may see you know, do acupuncture for neuropathy, or we may do an intake and help a patient, just had a patient, you know, yesterday, their new patient's gonna have surgery. So we talked about what they can do to optimize, sort of to prepare them to going into surgery and then optimize recovery for coming out. Mm -hmm. And then talked about some things moving forward with their next steps, which will be chemotherapy and radiation. And so just part of that discussion about talking with them about this is sort of some of the things that are gonna be happening and some of the things that we can do to help support you and we're, you know, going to work with you moving forward mm -hmm. and so it was in so i've been with them since 2004 with mm -hmm. providence and so in 2009 i went back to school for my master's in public administration with a focus in health administration because i wanted to take more of a leadership role within the system because as a provider i can have a certain level of influence but as an administrator i can have more influence about with regard to patient care and it was recommended to me by some of my mentors at the hospital to say 
doing another degree and a master's in either an MBA in business administration or an MPA, MHA, sort of in public administration or health administration would benefit sort of bridging those two worlds of non-conventional with conventional medicine. And so it has served me. And so I finished, you know, for my degree at Portland State and then became the manager and now I'm the medical director of the clinic there. And as a manager, we have three providers. And so since becoming uh, medical director, you know, I've been able to help uh, oversee the addition of more providers and we now have six naturopaths. Five of us are also acupuncturists, so we call them dual degree. But we also have a chiropractor that we've had for over two years and he's doing very well. And we have three massage therapists, one is full-time and two are part-time, but from their own choice. We'd mm -hmm. like them to add more, but they uh, want to limit their time. That's, that's great that uh, you're taking that role. I, I know a lot of the issues in medicine are due to those kind of things, the leadership structure, uh, insurance companies, all of these kind of law-based aspects of medicine. Uh, many times get in the way of actually delivering what's best for the patient. Um, I want to ask you, how has your experience been working in an integrative setting alongside other MDs um, and more conventional practitioners? My experience has been positive. You know, and when I started in 2004, you know, there was more naysayers. And I think partly because they didn't really understand what we did. Mm -hmm. So that was, I think, a natural response that anybody would have. It's like, well, what, what, who are they? What do they really do? And I can give the example of my father. Because mm -hmm. here we are, you know, we're related, obviously. And he would, I could talk with him and just say, hey, this latest journal article came out in the New England Journal of Medicine. You know, his journal that he looks at, it said, talks about either acupuncture or green tea or turmeric and some other aspects with regards to cancer health. And I could see that he would listen, but he was, you know, that wasn't as impactful for him as the most impactful would be his patients. And to say, he would observe his patients and say, wow, you know, they're not as anemic. Their blood counts aren't as low, or they don't have neuropathy, numbness and tingling from treatment that they usually have, or they're not feeling as bad mm. as they usually would. And so that is the most potent message that he saw with his patients. And he says, oh, wow, they're seeing a lot too. And I think the same thing could be said for the providers that we work with. It's like all providers want to know, are you hurting or helping my patient? And I think over time, they've learned to get to know us and to trust us. And we've done a lot of bridge building and reaching out and talks with them and talks with other care providers, just trying to build connections. Mm -hmm. And they've also seen that their patients are cared for. Mm -hmm. And so that they're not you know, doing worse or when they're not doing non-evidence-based therapies. Really, our practice at Providence is to practice with, okay, what's the evidence say for non-traditional therapies? Mm -hmm. So we can hang our hat when we're making recommendations and talking with other providers and saying, listen, this is where the data is with regards to L-glutamine and neuropathy or turmeric and cancer or green tea or diet. It's like, this is where the data is. Mm -hmm. And so we try and use that as often as possible. And I think just over time and getting to know people, but then sort of understanding how we practice and our approach with evidence-based and knowing that their patients are doing better and seeing less of the side effects which can affect quality of life. I think that has gone a long way to help building those connections and building mm -hmm. those bridges. And so right now, I think that there, we get a lot of providers who refer to us and sort of send their patients. And, you know, there's other providers who don't utilize us as much and that's fine, but we're there to support the community of Providence and just as people are going through mm -hmm. their cancer that's so uh, so important in this future that's moving towards integrative medicine. Uh, I was telling you before that there's this destructive belief amongst many uh, kind of more holistically minded people that you know conventional docs are out to get you. They only care about money, big pharma, and they they're trying to hide natural treatments and all of this. And I kind of thought that before I came to school here. A little bit because I was kind of part of that culture and it's you know pharmaceuticals are poison etc um, and then I shadowed with my uh, father he's a general surgeon and he was working at the hospital so I was like following him around while he was doing surgeries uh, really interesting experience but you know so the people on his team were made aware of the fact that oh you know uh, Dr. Bogdan's son is going to 
Uh, his name is also Bogdan as well. Funnily enough, so I'm a Bogdan Jr. Um, <laughs> but they were like, you know, he's going to naturopathic school. And most people, first of all, the most common response I got is, what's that? Most people just actually within the conventional system don't even know what it is. So contrary to, you know, what Google looks like when you look up naturopathic medicine about, you know, oh, it's not science-based and it's, you know, the devil and they're poisoning people. Certain groups talk about naturopathic medicine like that. Um, most people just don't know what it is, especially, so I come from the East Coast. I was uh, living in New York most of my life. And when I told people I was going to naturopathic school, they were like, oh, you mean like homeopathy? I'm like, yeah, it's part of it. Um, but anyway, so I'm in this uh, clinical setting in a hospital and the people working there were genuinely interested in what it was. They were like, oh, naturopathic medicine? They're like, oh, what is that? And I'm like, you know, we use, uh, we try to be more holistic, approach the person from all aspects. We tend to use more natural treatments, uh, less invasive kind of, you know, teaching patients, all the things that you mentioned. And the overwhelming response was, oh, that's really cool. Oh, I'm, you know, this nurse would be uh, like, oh, I, you know, I love Ayurveda. I think Ayurveda is so cool. I'm like, yes, exactly. That's, that's kind of our wheelhouse. We're interested in those kind of traditions. So my experience was that people are very open to it, but when we have any kinds of um, limiting beliefs, we prevent any kind of true integration from happening. Because as you said, I completely agree that um, any at least good practitioner, any good physician wants the best for their patient. And if you give them some herb or something or prescribe a diet and they do it and their patient gets better, they, the physician might not understand why that's the case that that happens, but they'll trust you and be like, well, he helps my patient, so I don't understand how it happens, but there must be something to it. So I'll just kind of focus on my thing and they can do their thing. And then you have a kind of like integrative model where everyone just focuses on what they're good at. Mm -hmm. And I really think that's the future of medicine. Um, I don't see where else it could possibly go because it's up the conventional medical model is obviously falling apart on a daily basis. Well, I think there's challenges, and especially when you know, there's a challenge with limitations to pharmaceuticals. But I think also if you look at the literature, you will see the benefits with regards to heart disease, diabetes, cancer, with diet and lifestyle, and yet we're not talking about mm -hmm. that as much. We're mainly treating it with different modalities. It doesn't mean that there's not a place for those types of care, the conventional care, just you know, looking at really you know, how are we having those other providers, ancillary providers that really can talk about those other aspects. If we're talking about holistic medicine and really looking out for the benefit of the patient using those holistic aspects. Right, so there's tons of research showing that you know, exercise and diet affect all sorts of diseases, diabetes, heart disease. I mean, there's so many research studies that it's- Right, yeah, 90% of patients with cancer are not exercising optimally. Exactly. So and, how do we help motivate Right, them? and the conventional way of thinking is, yeah, okay. Um, so a lot of docs, you know, they might see a patient for five minutes and they're like, you need to improve your diet. <laughs> you need to exercise more and um, it doesn't work because even understanding a little bit of human psychology, just being told that you need to exercise, what 1% of all people could possibly change their life with just being told that they should. Everyone knows that they should exercise. Everyone knows that they should eat better. Everyone knows, it's all knowledge, but there's something that's missing of the actual application. And I think that's where naturopathic physicians come in is that we can motivate people and find out what the blocks are to these things. So maybe you do need to take 20 minutes to uh, talk to someone about what their view is towards food before you can uh, give them a certain diet type and what's getting in their way and maybe write up a plan for them. Maybe they don't know how to cook. Maybe you got to figure out how to cook uh, with them, how to shop, all these things that block those actual changes. Um, and I think it's really important that we focus on actually not just saying, oh, well, you should stop smoking, you should eat better, but how do we actually make those changes? Yeah. And I patients. think incorporating some of those providers to help us do that, for example, whether it's the nutritionist mm -hmm. or um, you know somebody else who to help them sort of cook and meal prep. Mm -hmm. Or like, for example, I have a patient, you know, she had ankle pain. Mm -hmm. she, and so the ankle pain was limiting her exercise. Mm -hmm. So she was gaining weight because she wasn't exercising. Okay, well, let's work on that ankle pain. Mm -hmm. And so doing acupuncture. And so really trying to find those hurdles which in, you know, we say exercise, but really it's 
more nuance than that. And so when we talk about the data, it's like really, okay, we want them to increase their activity. And it doesn't have to be walking on a treadmill for 30 minutes. It can just be you know, doing stuff around the house or going out to the mailbox. Some of them, my patients as they're going through treatment, that's about as what they can do. Mm. But doing what they can do, and then as they see that their energy is improving, just to do more and yeah, make that happen. Use the world as their gym in a sense, but and do it in small segments, it makes it doable for mm. them. So it's really meeting the patient where they're at, but then talking about some of those aspects of care that go beyond sort of just sort of treating the cancer. And so that's you know, a way in Chinese medicine is, is like they see the cancer as not the prob problem, like they see it as a symptom of the problem. Mm. So again, when we go back to Zhang Dao and the body's in balance, we have health, cancer is saying the body's not in balance. Well, how can we help them balance again, whether that's changing the diet, whether that's exercise, improving their sleep, et cetera. And so that's the challenge, but they would say the same for high blood pressure or knee pain or digestive issues or insomnia or depression. Chinese medicine will look at that and say, they're symptoms of an imbalance. How can we help this person balance and get back into balance? And that will sort of treat upriver to treat downriver. And so again, we're trying to utilize some of the evidence-based practice, but then, you know, as a Chinese medicine practitioner too, it's like, what can I do to help them balance? With Zhang Dao, the body's in balance, we have health, or homeostasis, so mm. they can reduce pathology, but also as they're going through Mm. Now, the standard of care for most cancers is chemotherapy or radiation or surgery. Mm -hmm. How do you work with patients and what's your approach for those that are already being treated from that perspective? They're already getting chemotherapy, mm -hmm. they're already getting radiation. Where does the naturopathic physician mm -hmm. fit into that model? Oh, I think that there's a lot of places. And so, like I mentioned, it's like we know a lot of chemotherapies are going to cause diarrhea mm -hmm. or constipation. You know, or we're going to see anemia, low blood counts, or we're going to see nausea, or we're going to see neuropathy. What does the data say that we can do to help treat those things? You know, there's a lot that we can do for neuropathy. There's a lot we can do for nausea. There's a lot that we can do with regards to anemia and just supporting the blood, but also for diarrhea, constipation. Like so, I think that you know the integrative model has a lot of tools in its toolbox to be able to help people as they're going through treatment to minimize some of those side effects. And it doesn't mean that they don't take some of the medications that are given to them for those exact same things. It's just oftentimes we're able to sort of address some of the underlying imbalances that is caused by the treatment to help correct and minimize some of those side effects moving forward. Mm -hmm. So it's more of a kind of an adjunctive way, like there's the main treatment and then there's the kind of helping the whole person. and dealing with the symptoms and that. Exactly, mm -hmm. so we're, you know, for me, just my philosophy is always to focus on the foundation of health. Mm -hmm. Like that's always underlying for me. And then just with that sort of, you could say, with that Chinese medicine background too, it's like thinking about, okay, how can I help them balance? And I don't know what the outcome will be, but just with that Chinese philosophy as my guiding light to mm -hmm. say, okay, when they are in balance, I know that health, you know, we're more likely to see them in a healthful state or optimal health and healing. Right. And so just doing the best we can, you know, at the time and just trying to help mm -hmm. them the most we can. And then, you know, we will sort of what mm -hmm. will be, will be there at one point when we're, after we've done our best with them. Mm -hmm. Now dealing with uh, so many different kinds of cancer patients, have you come to any idea of what, what really causes cancer? I know there's a lot of, uh, theories about, you know, there's the gene mutation theory, there's the uh, kind of newer theory in research that it's like a metabolic disorder mm -hmm. that has mm -hmm. to do with that. What's your view on what actually causes cancer? Oh, that, I mean, there are many things that have been known to cause cancer. I mean, some of the biggest, cigarettes. Mm -hmm. You know, we know that that is linked with a number of cancers, but aging by itself is also another cause of cancer. We know the importance of diet, and so what is the cause of why, you know, what is the relationship with diet? Is it because we have too many rich, fatty, sugary foods that then may affect inflammatory markers that then may stress our immune system? So when we're looking at the biochemical aspects of how that food is working versus Mediterranean style or healthy whole food, healthy choices, which are typically considered anti-inflammatory because it doesn't push some of those same inflammatory markers. Like if I eat more red meat, more dairy, I may increase arachidonic acid 
which increases prostaglandins sort of two, which then are more pro-inflammatory versus mm -hmm. when I do more lean meats, fish, chicken, turkey, nuts, grains, vegetables, I'm doing more prostaglandins one and three, which are anti-inflammatory. So we can see a correlation with inflammation. Cancer is often there because of chronic inflammation. Mm -hmm. So how are we stressing the body with inflammatory aspects? You know, so is that solar radiation and inflammation maybe related with skin cancers, melanomas? Is it food inflammation that then may increase irritation inflammation in the gut mucosa and lead to stomach, pancreatic, colon cancer? Is it cigarettes leading to inflammation and being related more with lung cancer, throat, esophageal? Is it viruses like HPV, human papilloma virus? and the association with challenges with the immune system of the mucosa, so causing head and neck cancers, or rectal cancers, vaginal cancers. And so that's really what I'm trying to go for naturopathically is like, okay, I know that one of the root causes of cancer is inflammation. So where can I identify inflammation causing aspects within this person's life? And can I take them down? Can I reduce them? Can I enhance some of the healing? So we need inflammation to a point. I mean, it helps spawn healing, but too much is not good, too little is not good. And so how do we help them sort of reduce maybe excessive inflammation, but then also inspire healing? Mm. And so I think that there's a, it's a two-phase approach. We don't want to eliminate all inflammation, but we also want to inspire healing. That's where sometimes the diet and lifestyle is very nutritious. The Mediterranean diet is full of nutrients that help with reducing inflammation, but also aiding healing antioxidants, vitamins, enzymes, microminerals, nutrients that just optimize body function. Mm. What are your go-to approaches for uh, reducing inflammation? I think diet is such a huge part of our life that that is sort of should be a, a main focus kind of. Mm -hmm. But then also exercise, but then stress reduction. Like I had my students read an article on just stress, just psychological stress and the effects of inflammatory markers in the blood. And so they had a group of women who was on ovarian cancer, and the, so they said when they scored higher in the stress response, they saw more of these inflammatory markers. When they had less of the stress response reported, they had less inflammatory markers. And so that to me goes back to the root word of health is whole. That's the mental, physical, emotional, spiritual. So when people are under more mental, emotional stress, maybe spiritual, that's really not my forte, but you know, I ask people, do they have a spiritual faith? And just encouraging them, you know, if they are inclined that way to follow up with either people they've known in the past or to reach out to those communities that can help support them. Mm -hmm. And so if they are under more mental, emotional stress, then I know that that's gonna be related with inflammation. Mm -hmm. So again, trying to look at them holistically as an individual and to see where can I reduce inflammation? Mm -hmm. Whether it's how they sleep, how they hydrate, how they eat, spiritual, mental, emotional wellness, can I connect them with maybe counselors, you know, that could support maybe a mental, emotional balance? You know, what can I do with regards to their diet lifestyle? Mm -hmm. Could I use acupuncture for any aches, pains, which may be why, like my patient who had ankle pain that was affecting her ability to mm -hmm. exercise, it was affecting her weight. It's like, so really thinking holistically about helping optimize their overall health and reducing inflammation wherever we see it. Mm. You said something previously that you don't like looking for the silver bullet, but you prefer the silver buckshot. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what the silver buckshot is? So I came across that term by reading an article, The Island Where People Forget to God, Die, by mm -hmm. Dan Buettner in the New York Times, October of 2012. And it was an article about Stomatis morientis, and he was from the Greek island of Icaria. He was living in, I think, Chicago at the time, Chicago or Boston. And he was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And he didn't want to burden his family with the cost of the funeral and burial and everything. He wanted to go home to his island where he grew up to die. Plus his parents were still there. So he wanted to go back and be with them with the short time that he thought he had remaining. And this was in the seventies that he was diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And so Dan Buner goes on to talk about how, you know, the first couple of weeks he was sitting around, you know, sort of waiting for that time. <laughs> he was still alive, so he thought, maybe I'll go outside and freshen up the garden because my parents are getting older and, you know, it's sort of getting into disarray. And so he wanted to vitalize the garden. And so he did, and he was working in the garden for weeks. And a 
couple months and then it's like okay he's still alive after a couple months so he goes into the olive orchard you know prunes the trees because his parents weren't doing that so well either and so it gets the olive orchard going again too and so the end of the story is he was diagnosed in the 70s so he died i think in 2013 at the age of 103 or 101 <laughs> he wasn't sure when he was born he couldn't remember when he was born and so Dan Huebner talked about, okay, what is it? Okay, we know about the benefits of Mediterranean diet. Mm -hmm. But to me, it's like, I don't want people to just get the focus in on the Mediterranean diet. There's an aspect of the Mediterranean lifestyle that is a part of that. Mm -hmm. And if people don't live in the Mediterranean area, you know, I have patients from Central America, South America, the Caribbean. It's like, I'm not going to make them eat the Mediterranean diet. It's just like, how do I translate that as healthy, whole food choices, lean meats and vegetables, lots of olive usually you can find those lengths no matter where you live in the world. Mm -hmm. But Dan Buehner talked about sort of the other aspects. It's like they would have a great sense of community. And so there was a huge social support. It's like people knew each other and they talked about sometimes that was beneficial and sometimes it's like that's too much, you know, too much oversight and, you know, they, my neighbors know everything going on with me. They wouldn't wear watches. So they went to bed when they wanted to. They stayed up as late as they wanted to. You know, they added much more of intimacy you know, with regards to their relationship and a healthy sex life. Mm -hmm. And so they would drink this local herbal tea. They would drink wine. It's like they would be out in sort of the islands and walking up and down the islands so getting exercise. They'd get the vitamin D. It's like, so when we think about, is it just the Mediterranean diet? It's like, no, that's a part of the picture. It's like, that's that whole aspect. What is it that makes this person whole? It's like, we know the importance of vitamin D the importance of exercise, we know the importance of community and the importance of diet. And how do we wrap those all up together for the benefit? And then what we see is Stomachus morantis diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. He should have died within a year, but he lived past all of his sort of diagnostic physicians and the physicians <laughs> who diagnosed him, he lived beyond that. Now, would we get that same result with, you know, I'd say that if we had 10 people with stage four lung cancer, would all of them react the way Stomachus did if we moved them all to the Caribbean? Probably not, but for Stomachus, that was a huge part of him. And so how do we help optimize them as best we can with the tools that we know about and see about sort of what will be? And is he gonna be around in 30 years? Mm. So that's the silver buckshot is the kind of uh, synergistic combination right. of many different approaches. And it's hard to say, Oh, it was his diet that healed him. Oh, it was his lifestyle that healed him. It's it kind was of this the sun. It was yeah. you know, getting extra vitamin D. It's like so we can see articles of benefit. We look for the evidence on exercise, on social socialization and community, on sexual health. Mm -hmm. you know, and so, but how does it look when we wrap all those things up? And that, so that's how I try and focus people, patients that I work with. It's like, what can we do to optimize you thinking holistic? in the mental, physical, emotional, spiritual. And then that to me is a way that we're setting them up the best I can to go forward from their diagnosis mm. the best they can. That's beautiful. That's a view of uh, healing that's very different than what is typical. When we think of healing in medicine, we think, oh, it's disgusting, but you have to do it. It's a bitter pill to swallow, take your medicine kind of things. But this version of healing that you suggest is very hopeful. It's very uh, inspiring to people who aren't even actually have, have any diseases. Like most people would want that life actually if they experienced it. So that as being the cure is actually just living the fullest, best life that you can live. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's a piece of it. And so mm -hmm. sort of another example of Chinese medicine talks about, you know, to treat the branch, treat the root. Mm -hmm. In a sense, go upriver. So that sense of balance and to treat downriver by treating upriver. It's like, what are those changes we can make that maybe the cancer is a symptom of the imbalance, sort of with that mindset. Now, chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery, I don't have anything that's gonna work as well as that to arrest the cancer at that stage. Because oftentimes when it's diagnosed, it's been around for five, 10, 15 years before it's pathological, detectable, discernible in lab work or palpation. And so it's, you know, my dad and I talk, it's like, it's gotten ahead of steam. And my stuff is not fast acting. The stuff in the naturopathic world, whether that's diet and exercise, you know, that's gonna be difficult. And so that's where we need sort of the chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery 
but then what are we going to do to treat upriver to keep that from happening again mm. so i have a lot of sort of faith in the people who would make those changes and sort of see sort of that cancer diagnosis as a tremendous learning opportunity and i have patients say it's like you know i wouldn't wish this on anybody but it's the best thing that's happened to me in the fact that it often has changed their life for the better. It's like they prioritize their own health. They've changed how they eat and they notice a difference. They've changed how they exercise and they know how they feel. Mm. They've changed sort of the people in their life and sort of the people who weren't making them better. You know, maybe they've limited their exposure to them. The people who enhance who they are as human beings, they encourage those relationships. And they just feel, even though they've been through cancer treatment, they often feel better. Now, does that, does every person do that? No, but there are some who feel like, you know, again, they wouldn't wish it on anybody, but it's changed their life for the better. Mm. Do you think there's any uh, future for something like a naturopathic hospital or like an integrative hospital where uh, people of all different fields can work together? We've talked places. about that for you know, a lot of years. And I know Dr. Sachin Ambrose has been wanting to sort of do that. And, you know, that, that takes a lot of funding. <laughs> millions, probably hundreds of millions, right? Exactly. And so I don't know, I mean, perhaps someday there will be philanthropy that is able to achieve that, but we also may do it through the other way of being within a system and growing within it organically, mm. as I am right now. I've been going on. 15 years with the hospital and almost 20 years of practice. And so that's what I'm trying to do is to enhance sort of the aspect of alternative medicine providers within sort of that hospital setting. When I say alternatives, it's not this, you know, practicing this way or that way. It's really that integrative model and trying to, how do we integrate? And we're not in the hospital because the hospital wanted us to be there in the very beginning. Like we were there because of a group of breast cancer survivors. They came to the hospital in 2000 and they said, listen, we're using these services outside. We're using naturopathic and acupuncture and chiropractic and supplements. We think the hospital should have representatives of those therapies within. And so the administrators at the time said, mm, I don't know if this is the right step for us. But two years later, the same group came back to them and said, we still think you need to offer these services. And at that time, the administrators said, okay, you know, that was meeting the mission of Providence is to, you know, honor what the community that they were serving mm -hmm. was doing for their health. And so they made a leap and they are forward thinkers. They're the only hospital who has sort of under one roof, the providers that we have there, you know, OHSU, they just started within their pain clinic having naturopaths and acupuncturists and chiropractors. That's within the last year or two. But Adventist Good Sam doesn't have that. Kaiser talks about sort of their sort of ice cream, you scream, we all scream for green beans and their ads that everybody knows about. But really having in-house people is very rare. And that takes dedication with not only the administration, but also philanthropy, mm -hmm. which has helped us be there. And so, but we're there because of patients. But I think being there, we've shown them how we can help serve the community, but also be sort of coordinated care and integrated providers to help sort of areas where maybe there is not their strong suit. And so how can we help incorporate some of the therapies that we utilize for the benefit of not only patients, but also the hospital and the healthcare system, you know, maybe reducing costs. Like we've got plenty of stories, I mean, about you know, patients who have stopped Oxycontin because they've gotten acupuncture treatment or you know, they've experienced weight loss or blood sugar regulation when it was dysregulated and they were moving on that path to diabetes or they have diabetes and they've been able to decrease insulin as much as they can or maybe insulin to uh, you know, oral medication and maybe reduce that with diet and lifestyle. Again, not every patient is going to respond strongly, but you know, we often see results when people are compliant. And that's sort of the key, I think, that again, if we're honoring sort of that integrative medicine aspect. And as you mentioned, world medicine, it's like, so the young nowadays know about Ayurveda and they're doing yoga, and they're doing martial arts. It's mm -hmm. like, so we are really expanding the knowledge and acceptance of world practices. Mm -hmm. And that includes medicine. 
And I think if we're thinking almost Chinese medicine-wise, in Chinese medicine, the earth is a big us. We're a little earth. And so in a sense, I have a lot of organ systems within me, cardiovascular, skeletal, muscular, mm -hmm. you know, nervous system, and it all works together to help my overall health. And I, to me, it's like that's sort of taking the medicines from around the earth to help treat me. Mm -hmm. Sort of with that mindset of the earth is a big me, I'm a little earth. It's gonna to treat me holistically. I'm gonna need medicines mm -hmm. from that earth to treat aspects of who I am. That's, that's very a very fascinating idea. Uh, the kind of microcosm and the macrocosm. That's exactly right. That's beautiful. And I think that's uh, the future of medicine is taking in all these uh, older traditions of medicine, bringing them back in and progressing them actually. And you know, I think it's humbling for us mm -hmm. as providers. It's like, you know, that's that round table is like being okay with you know, what other providers are doing because if we keep that patient at the center focus and do what we're good at and trust the others to do what they're good at, I think the patient wins in the end. Mm, and that's, that's, the, that's the goal for the patient to win. Now, I wanna uh, thank you again for, for being on the podcast. I really appreciate everything that we spoke about. Um, for our listeners, can you tell us how they can contact you, maybe anything that you're currently working on? I mean, so they can contact me at the hospital. And so if you Google Dr. Lachaner, you'll find me at Providence. And I, I'm looking to start uh, more work online to have some of these resources available for a greater population outside of the Providence system. And so that's gonna be at drlachaner.com. I just got that through uh, you know, GoDaddy. And so I haven't really started putting stuff on it, but I'm gonna be starting putting some YouTubes on it and extending that out into other aspects that I've been doing and teaching about for the past 15 years. So look for that coming up. Awesome, and uh, you spell Loch, L-O-C-H, right? Like Loch Lomond, or, or yes. that's exactly right. So that's Absolutely. Scottish name. So okay. well, thanks for having me. Having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this has, been, this has been excellent. Thank you so much, sir. You bet. Yes.